This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Well, how many do want to do all that Jesus wants you to do in life? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be talking tonight how to, how, to, how to know that you're following Jesus. Because remember what he said in the book of John? John chapter 10, he said, My sheep know my voice. How many here are a sheep of Jesus? He's your shepherd. He says, you know the voice. And he said, my sheep follow me. And so we want a purpose to know that we're hearing the voice of the good shepherd that we're following him. I want to show you one of my favorite books of all times next to the Bible. It's a book by Brother Kenneth Hagin called Following God's Plan for Your Life. Following God's Plan for Your Life. I've shown this several times and, you know, a lot of you bought this out of the bookstore, but I was... Talked to Jose a while ago, and I said, you know, out of all the books other than the Bible I've ever read, this one here's probably helped me more than anything. And I've went over the course of the last bunch of years, Leanne's got hers right there in her hand, and I've went over the course of the last several years, over and over and over and over again, when I've been decisive times, I go back and I study that book and parts of that book that I've got in yellow in, stars in, red lines around things, and look at my Bible and look at the verses. And then I get in my prayer closet with the Holy Spirit. I listen to Him. It helps fine-tune me. How many know you need fine-tune sometimes? And you know, I'm thinking about the modern, all the modern technology that not come, got now comes out of uh, satellites in the air and everything. But some of us, like Dave's age, remembers the radios we had in our cars. And you're driving down the road. How many remember car radios? that you had to listen to like that and turn the knob to get a station in clear. Well, you know, the, the problem wasn't with the station, is with the tuner. You had a part to play. As you got out of range, got closer to range, you had to turn that knob and fine-tune. They were broadcasted all the time. And so you couldn't whine and complain if you couldn't hear what you wanted to hear because the power was in your hand to turn the knob. Well, in our Christian lives, there's things we have to do to fine-tune our spiritual ears to hear. Jesus did say, He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith. And so how many here have spiritual ears? Well, he said, let you hear then. He said, you've got to make the choice you're going to hear, so you've got to get in position to hear. God's broadcasted all the time. But if you're so busy with life, you're caught up into sin, or you're distracted because you're busy, 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 He's still broadcasting, except you're not tuned in to where he's talking from. He always speaks to your heart. Pastor Dave talked a couple weeks ago about, he talked about that still small voice is where God is. You know, it's not a booming voice. It's a knowing in your heart. This is what Jesus is saying to me. And that's how you get led by the Spirit of God. You know that you know that you know. But if you're too busy with life, you miss the voices talking to your heart. Amen. And so then I know that uh, in all my years of ministry, it's just been so sad when Christians, good Christians that are good Christians, come up the prayer line, they're praying, they're crying, because they've got decisions to make, or they've made a decision. And things aren't going the direction they thought, and they're crying because they don't know if they miss God, or if they're following God, or they don't understand what's going on. Well, that's not God's best. God's best for you to know what you're doing and then be doing it. And then if attacks come or things happen in life, 
to be able to stay steady and keep heading in the right direction. And I was telling somebody the other day, God's leading them in a big move in life, and they were talking about, well, if this is God, I know he's going to open the doors and all those kind of things. I said, yeah, God may open the doors for you, but he did say, fight the good fight of faith. If God opens the doors and things begin to happen, if you just stay back and play dead and think God's going to do it all, you're going to miss it then. Because God said, fight the good fight of faith. And so if God wants you to do things in your life, he'll make the way. But how many know there's somebody else in the spiritual arena besides Jesus and God? It's called the devil and demons. And when you begin to broadcast with your mouth and let people know what God's doing and where you're going, which you need to do. You need to share the vision God gave you. But when you're talking about things, see, the devil's not in the same category God is. He's a fallen spirit. God knows the thoughts and intents of your heart. Satan doesn't. All he knows is what you tell him. So when you begin to get bold in your faith, and you ought to be bold in your faith, and you begin to say, this is what God's doing in my life, this is what I'm going to do, then Satan says, hey, you heard that, guys? Get some demons over here. Let's stop them. And if you don't use your faith to take authority over the devil, you're never going to get to the destination God's got for you. I want to say that again. See, a lot of people get mistaken about the devil and think he's all-knowing. He's not all-knowing. The Holy Spirit talks to your heart. And how many know that the devil can't hear what's in your heart? That's called the temple of the Holy Ghost. And, and a matter of fact, Paul said this way, said, said the temple of God is not the place for demons. Demons and the Holy Spirit can't live in the same place. So when God speaks to your heart, Satan has no idea what's going on in your life unless you tell him. Amen. So there is a time to keep quiet sometimes so you're faced the level to talk about it. But once you begin to talk about God's plan for your life, you've got to be ready to begin to speak some things of faith. If the devil tries to show up, you say, Satan, I bind you in Jesus' name. You quote the word of God, you fight the good fight of faith, you march forward because God doesn't give you things to do that it doesn't take faith to do. Yes. Amen. Amen. You know, if it's things that you can do without God, it doesn't take faith. But God lets us grow up. As we're growing up, he gives us bigger jobs, bigger things to do. And when he does, we grow another level in faith when we use our faith. Yeah. And so we're going to be talking tonight about how to know that you're following Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And you know, this is interesting. The way this came about. Uh, I've always, for all my Christian life, in my spirit, known that Hebrews and Romans were so close to each other, so many things, but I've never really, never really seen anything about it or anybody teach about it. And when I was up early this morning praying about what to do tonight, I just kept thinking, Lord, I know, and this wasn't even for a sermon, I'd just be thinking and praying. I said, Lord, I know that Romans and Hebrews, somehow or another, they're connected. I know the whole Bible's connected. But I thought, Lord, I know, I just, because sometimes I'll get those two mixed up when I'm thinking of verses. I think, man, there's such a, something synonymous here. And what is that? I begin to see a couple things about Romans chapter 12 and Hebrews chapter 12. As I begin to write it down, that's what we're going to preach about tonight. But then I see that they're saying the same thing. It's how for the body of Christ as Christians to know the plan of God and follow the plan of God. 
how to do that. And you know, I'm just thinking about tonight, I hope everybody's sitting on the edges of their seat. Because the times we live in, the times we live in, we've got to know the plan of God and follow the plan of God. And you know, I think about our own lives. I know that uh, it looks like I married a young chick, but she's older than what you think. And like she married an older man, she she married an older man, but I'm younger than what you think. But anyway, I was thinking about this, and I didn't correlate these verses to me at all till this afternoon. I was thinking about it. Here I am, 70 years old, and I won't tell you how old this young woman is. But I know a lot of people our age are retiring. I went to a, a celebration for a pastor in town yesterday that we're one day apart. I was born on July 17th. He's born July 18th. I went to his retirement party. I was thinking, man, this guy's getting to retire, but God's sending us into a new phase. At 70 years old, a new phase. But then I realized that Moses hit his first phase at 80 years old. He went through a lot of training. At 80 years old, he went through those things. Now, here we are, 70 years old. you know why? Because we choose to follow the plan of God for our life. There's nothing wrong with retiring at 70 or whatever you want to. But if you're going to listen to the Lord to live long and strong, you've got to follow His plan. If His plan says you can do that, you can do that. And you know, you only know His plan by knowing the voice of the Good Shepherd in your heart. That's how you know. And so for your life, it doesn't make any difference what everybody else is doing. I was talking to a man this week about things things in life and hindrances, things about what God's going to have him do. I said, well, according to Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus said, whosoever shall say this mountain, whosoever. And so I said, you know what? He said, well, you know, everybody said do this, everybody said that. I said, wait a minute, you're not an everybody, you're a whosoever. I don't identify with everybody's. Jesus didn't say everybody will say, he said, whosoever shall say. And so we got to recognize it doesn't make any difference if the whole world says this is what you do. What does Jesus tell you to do? You know, in the Bible, the people that lost the most is the ones that said, we've never done it this way before. Here's how everybody does it. Well, the times we live in for the plan of God for you, you better know what the plan of God is. And then when everybody tells you, you can't do that, say, well, I'm a whosoever. Whosoever shall say. Whosoever shall do the will of God, he said. That's my brother and my mother, and my sister. Amen. And so that's what we're looking at. You've got to identify that you're unique. You're a child of God. you got God's DNA. That DNA is God's divine nature and authority. DNA. Divine nature and authority. That's what you've got in you. Nothing's impossible to you that believe it. So anyway, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Wherefore, see, we are compassed about, are surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which has so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And the race means the plan of God. The race means what God what you'd accomplish on earth before you go to heaven. But I want to look at a few things this verse here, just break it about, break it apart a little bit, because I'm a Bible teacher. And you need to know what you're reading. So he said, wherefore, see, we're surrounded with a greater cloud of witnesses. And you got to understand, this connected to Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews chapter 11, 
he tells you scores and scores of people of faith of what they did and then they went to heaven and then he says we're surrounded by the people of heaven. And another translation to say things like this that the people of heaven's grandstands are watching us. And so our born again friends and loved ones that have already been promoted to heaven, the move to heaven, they're watching our spiritual race. They're watching our spiritual race. And you know, when you get to heaven, you don't care about big houses. I mean, what's going to compare with mansions? Heavenly mansions. You don't compare about uh, how much retirement you got, how much funds you have in the bank, and what you've done. What's going to compete with streets that are made out of pure gold? And walls that have heavenly emeralds and jewels in the walls around the city. God believes in walls. Don't let, don't let that out too loud, but he believes in walls. Why is that? Because he said only the believers will come through those gates. He said non-believers can't come in. So God controls what goes on in heaven. But the thing is, what I'm saying is this. The people in heaven are concerned about one thing. They want their friends and loved ones on earth to make the right decision to come to heaven. And so the people in heaven are watching what their friends and family do. And when people on earth make right spiritual decisions, people in heaven get excited because they get to watch. It says they're cheering us on from heaven. You, you get to finally buy that, that uh, really fancy car you wanted. They could care less in heaven. They got fiery chariots. Are you buying another house, big house? They don't care. They look over at their mansion and say, well, I got my mansion. What's those things worth down there? You, you buy your fancy clothes at all the different, I don't even know the name brand of clothes. I've never been a fancy clothes shopper. But they look at, they wear robes, robes of righteousness. They look at, what you guys got down there? You got nothing. We don't care about what you're wearing. We don't care about where you're living. We don't care about who your friends are. There's my Lord Jesus right there. I'm Jesus' friend, and I see him face to face every day. That's what they've got. And so see, you gotta get this verse here, that the things we do, Get the attention of heaven. And so, when you make a right decision, you might be a person that's uh, found out about tithing. And all of a sudden, you come up another level, and your guy, your guy or gal gives 10% to God, and they cheer in heaven, and say, wow, they just got the place set up for more blessing. Amen. And so, we're surrounded by heavenly people. And then notice this. It says, because we're surrounded by them, let's lay aside every weight. And the sin, which doesn't easily beset us, so we run our race with patience. And when Paul wrote this, the Greek, the Greek Olympics were prominent. And so he was related to this in terms of people could understand. And so just as the athletes could only run their race if they were in shape and wear the right clothes. And so they got down to the little as they could because you wouldn't want to run the race with a suit of armor on. And, you know, I know they got these little workout things people put on their ankles, put on their hands. If you're out there, that's okay to work out. But if you're going to run to beat somebody or finish your race, you take the weights off. Because it'll hold you back. And so he said, let us, now listen to this, let us lay aside every weight and the sin. And so there's a difference between weights and sins. And so weights are things in life that may be good things, but not necessary things for your spiritual life. To follow God's plan. 
And I got revelation this morning. Was coming to church. I was talking to Mr. Pastor about this verse. And I don't usually talk about things that are currently going on in my life. But God gave me understanding of the phase we're in right now. You know, we got that beautiful place we testified about three years ago. Got the lake, got the orchard, got all the stuff we have out there. But all this whole past year, whatever we talk about God's phase of life, he has it now going to other churches and preaches things. I told Mrs. Pastor, I said, I, I said, I can't do it. I said, I can either serve God or serve this place. I said, I love Jesus more, but we got this place. And so we finally got to the place where we realized that we were going to do what God wanted to do, so goodbye place. And so the first step of that, Mrs. Pastor sold her horse. Because the horse became a weight, because we couldn't go anywhere because somebody had to show up twice a day to feed the horse and water the horse. And then, real quick, supernatural, God sold her place. Like that. Totally caught me off guard. And then, just as quick, he put the other place in our hands. But then, coming to church, I said, I realize what that was now. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12 says that was a weight. It wasn't a sin, but it held us back. So, what did we have to do? We had to get rid of the weight. Why was that? So we could run with patience the race. Now, get what I'm saying. There's good things, but they aren't God's best for what He wants you to do in life. And so a weight, now listen to this, a weight is a spiritual time stealer. If you've got things in life that's still your time for having quiet time with Jesus, that's still your time for going to church as much as you want to, that's still your time for serving God like you want to, you need to make a choice. Do I really need to be doing this? Or can I still live and get by without doing this and serve God better? And you know, I want to say this again. That's only a choice that you can make between you and Jesus. But if God's put something in your heart to do, He'll make the way to do it. But it takes faith. It takes faith to cut off good things. And so we'll be able to travel and do more of those things. But then sin. It says, lay aside the sins. Sins are things. Now listen to this. You know, you would think Christians should know this, but maybe they don't. But sins are things that we know are an absolute violation of the holy written word of God. Sins that are absolutely no-nos for born-again Christians if they want to enjoy the full blessing of God on their life. If you want the full blessing of God on your life, if you want to enjoy God's best, then there's things in the Bible, very plain, from cover to cover, tells you, this is how God's people are to live. This is how God's people are to conduct themselves. This is what God's people do. And you know, sins, for the most part, won't keep you out of heaven unless you really get some serious stuff and you stay there and you absolutely flip God off and just say, no, no, I don't want anything to do with you because this is how I'm going to live. That can really get you in serious trouble where you won't make heaven. But there's a lot of sins in life you can slide by with if you don't want to because sins are a blessing blocker. I want to say that again. Sin is a blessing blocker. And so he said for you to lay aside every weight and the sin. 
which is easy to try to snare you and trap you. And uh, I, I want to stay on course what I'm doing here, but I want to tell you, I want to tell you a story. I remember Brother Hagin years ago said he was in a church and he was ministering to people and people come up to the altar and they kneel at the altar praying and talking to Jesus and everything. And Brother Hagin would just kind of walk around praying and this said this woman, this woman said that he was from Texas. And so I guess they were, they were uh, snuffers down in Texas, you know, did the snuff stuff. A long time ago, old women and everybody. And so she said, oh, Lord, take that old stuff away from me. He walked past and thought, hmm. And she kept crying, oh, Lord, take that old stuff away from me. Take that old stuff away from me. And Brother Hagin said, I walked up, tapped her on the shoulder. And I said, why would Jesus want to take your stuff? He don't dip. <laughs> said, if you want to get rid of that stuff, that bad habit, you're the one. It's got to use your faith and say, no, I'm not doing anything more. Jesus doesn't want your drugs. He doesn't want your sexual perversion. He, do, he doesn't want whatever it is that sin's got a hold of you. Jesus doesn't want it because there's no sin in heaven. He tells us what to do. He tells us what to do to get out of sin. And the whole thing's a choice. There's no sin that's too strong for the blood of Jesus. There's no sin... That's too great for the power of the Holy Ghost. The only thing that will stop you from getting out of sin would be called your free will. Would you use your free will and you say, Jesus, enough's enough. I'm serious. Show me what to do to get rid of this. Then he'll help you get rid of it. That's absolute Bible and that's the truth. And then he says to run with patience. For you to run with patience, the race, and the race is God's plan for your life. And you got to remember this, that your life's calling is not the 60-yard dash, it's the marathon. It's the marathon. And so patience means to pace yourself because you're in a marathon, not just a short dash. You're in a, you're in a marathon to accomplish all that Jesus has spoken to your heart. You're not called to do that in one day. Listen to what I'm saying. You're not called to accomplish all this in your heart in one day, in one week, in one month, or even one year. We have a lifetime to run our race. We have a right, a lifetime to finish our course. So patience means be disciplined, be consistent, stay constant. Like a marathon runner, work out every day, work out the word. Spend time in prayer. You know, uh, athletes train every day. They're constant, they're consistent, but they, they're not in the big contest every day. But they train for the contest every day. Come to church every time you can. Discipline, your, discipline yourself. Live a scheduled plan around your week, around your year. Schedule things. How are you going to do things? But number one, he says, seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So right in the middle of your schedule, should be Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, things going on. And then, you know, there's job things, different things happen. But the main thing is, you have got to plan out your life if you're going to run your race with patience. And Mrs. Pastor, I just got another flashback to February of 1983. We were waiting on Marsha and Jean Zybron to come down to the Red Robin Drive place. This, this, this is strange. This, this is happening right now, this many years later from February of 1983. Had some people coming over. It was morning time, probably about 9 o'clock, 
as she was getting some things ready, I was on my knees just praying. And all of a sudden I had an open vision. I saw Jesus dropping us off in places around the nation to preach. (laughs) That was 39 years ago. I saw that taking place back then. And all these years, I've been disciplined. I've been obedient. I've been running each phase of our marathon to where we are. And that many years ago, this is starting to take place now. We're going to be dropped off in places around the nation to preach. I forgot all about that one. But that was an open vision in broad daylight. And there wasn't any catchers around. Did you catch me? But I fell out in the spirit then. Right in my own house. I fell out in the spirit because the Holy Ghost overcame me. But one day's with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. God sees yesterday like it's today. God sees 20 years from now, 100 years from now, like it's today. God sees the whole pictures. And sometimes by the Spirit, He lets us see what He's seeing. And so, all these years, we've lived disciplined. We've lived following the plan that we knew day by day, the day by day plan. And so that's what you've got to do. Follow God's plans, live disciplined. Then, verse 2 is what we're preaching around and what you've got to see. So he's already told you what to do to prepare yourself. Get rid of time stealers. Do everything you can to say no to sin. Yes to right living. Knowing how real spiritual things are, that people that love you that are in heaven are watching you and cheering you on from heaven. And then he says in verse 2, as you're doing these things, looking unto Jesus. It didn't say look to Google. It didn't say look to how many likes you can get on Facebook. I only need one like. It's Jesus to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's the one I'm looking for. And I found out over the years, there's been a lot of spiritual decisions I've made to follow the plan of God where... Not very many people liked it. Christian people, family people, and other things. I'll tell you what, after being in Indiana 54 years, in the year 2005, we come to California. None of my family liked it. None of them agreed with it. They didn't like it. But I have one that liked it named Jesus. You know, and then uh, I heard the Beverly Hillbilly song. Said California is the place you ought to be. So we loaded up the Pisky truck and we moved to Arstow. <laughs> Found out that Beverly Hills wasn't all over California. There was some desert here too. But no, what I'm telling you is this. We were looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus is the one. See, this is something you've got to get. It says Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Well, the Greek says the originator of our faith and the one completes our faith. And so, nobody in this room, no Christian on the earth has ever given this Christian faith walk without Jesus starting it. He's the one that, you're off. When you say, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Savior, forgive me my sins, you become a new creature in Christ. If you hear a start, pistol heavy, you're off. But it says, look, the author and the finisher. If you're going to finish your faith race, you got to keep looking at the one that started it. Amen. And I just want to say this real nice because 
I'm not the head pastor now. I'm the overseer and pastor, but the head pastor right on the front row. But out of all my years of ministry, to me, one of the saddest things I've ever seen in Christian life is flake old Christians that all the time say, God told me to do this. And then six months later, they quit doing it because God told me to do this. Well, did you finish the last phase? Well, no, God told me to do this. Wait a minute. You mean God's double-minded? In James chapter 1, he said, we're not supposed to be double-minded. So why would he have the right to tell us not to be double-minded if he was? Well, I'll tell you what. God just gave you this idea. Well, what about that second idea he's given you this year already? This year, third one now. Did you finish the second one? Well, no, but we're going to do this. I think, wow, that is so dumb. Christians, if Jesus gives you a direction to go and a task to accomplish, stick with it till you get it. Be like a United States posted stamp. You get on there, you stick with it till you get to your destination. Amen. Is that good preaching or what? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and so I want to say this. Back in the year 2000, the fall of 2000, the Lord spoke these words to me. I wrote them down. I write them down every time I get a new Bible. But this verse, this verse right here, and I'm going to preach around this. He said this, to keep my eyes on Jesus is to keep my eyes on the Word. To keep my eyes on the Word is to keep my eyes on Jesus. And I know that I've watched Christians for years because they've heard the expression, I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. Well, if you're going to keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to be a serious Bible person. Amen. Because if you're not, if you're not having Bible verses, that's a very part of your inner being that automatically come out of your mouth and bypass your head. Because you're, when you're living this faith walk and you're following Jesus, <clears throat> and you don't have to be great big faith adventures. In the faith walk, if you're a married couple and you've got kids, it takes faith every day to keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. To train those children up in the way they should go, especially in the times we live in. It takes faith. There's such an attack on Christian marriages. It takes faith for husbands and wives to get along, and you've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You better know some verses about how a husband is supposed to lead and feed like a shepherd his own family, his own little flock. The dad has to know how to honor the weaker vessel, the wife, and get away from all the modern-day stupid stuff about women. The Bible says the woman's the weaker vessel, so she is. It didn't say she was the inferior vessel. It didn't say she was a dumber vessel or the less spiritual. It means the temple she lives in, her body is made different than the man's, and so there's some honor comes to a woman because sometimes the woman could be the spiritual stronger one, but at the same time, the husband is the spiritual anointed one to be the head, because God said so. And so husbands should know some verses about that. And then for the wife to submit to the husband as unto the Lord, that she should know that the husband is the one that God has called to lead the family. She better know some wife in verses. And then parents, parents train up the child the way he should go. Well, little Darla doesn't want to go to church, so we let him stay home today. Oh, so in modern times, the child tells the parents what to do? 
Well, you know, they're playing soccer all day on Saturday. they got to rest and do their homework on Sunday. Well, I say there might be a wait called Mr. Soccer has to be shut off somewhere there. If that wait, if that wait is pulling your child away from spiritual things, you'd be better off to get rid of that weight now than your child turns 18 years old and they run from you and God to everybody else because they weren't trained right. That's right. Amen. Amen. Well, you know what? I still got some pastor in me, not just teacher. Pastor comes out. But I love to see families that the parents know parenting scriptures and they obey the parents because parents aren't dictators. But parents have grace to raise the children, not the children to lead the parents. And by the way, parents, this, this, I, I got to get the rest of this. By the way, parents, don't be bad mouthing to the kids about the other parent. Amen. Don't be telling the other the, the, the kids what dad said or what dad did, what mom said, what mom did. Don't, 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 don't betray the trust of parenthood. Amen. Work together. If one of you does something really dumb and stupid, then get in private and talk it over and get it right. But don't get the children in to ask them, what do you think we ought to do? Isn't that terrible? Their kids aren't called to do that. They'll raise up some misfits, live that way. But so what I'm saying is this, if you're going to keep your eyes on Jesus in your marriage, you'll keep your eyes on the Word of God in your marriage. And if you're following Jesus, you're following the Word. Amen. And so keep your eyes on Jesus, keep your eyes on the Word of God. I'm going to show you why I say this now from the Bible. Look at John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 and verse 14. And you know, as I was thinking about this this morning, I was thinking about us as pastors and Bible teachers and things that we learned years ago. A lot of times we quote things, but we don't have you look out of your eyes. And like Pastor Dave talked about a while ago, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. A lot of people don't realize some of these things we quote, and I really, I really believe from watching ministers, and always myself, I've always had a thing about me that I was going to make sure I always had Christians open their Bibles and look at verses. Because I found out several years ago that all the time preachers say, well, you know, the Bible says, well, somebody may be in here tonight that doesn't even know Jesus yet. So how do they know what the Bible says? There you go. Or maybe somebody that's here that they just got born again recently, and they don't know what it says. There may be people in the church service that don't even know who David and Goliath are. Don't even know about, uh, about Daniel and the lion's den. You say, well, you know, the Bible says Daniel's in the lion's den. They're thinking, what? What's a den? I thought that was a room in the house. What's a lion? Well, I thought that was a person that's just lying all the time. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm serious. And so we as, we as preachers, I believe, do an injustice to congregations when all we ever do is quote scriptures and they never see them. And, you know, I'll give you an example. I remember one time when I was a baby pastor, I was a new pastor back in 1992, and I was talking to one of the guys of the church, and, you know, I just started the preaching business. Been around for a while preaching sometimes, you know, as I could other places, but a full-time pastor. And what was that verse? I can't remember what it was because it wasn't a verse. But anyway, I was quoting something that I'd already heard preachers say the Bible says. And so this guy asked me, well, where's that at the Bible? And he was serious. He wanted to know it. I said, you know what? I don't know. Let me look it up. 
I got out my concordance. We didn't have all the internet back. I got out my concordance, and if you don't know what that is, that's a big book we used to use before the internet that showed all the verses of the Bible. All you had to do is find, find a word in the Bible, go concordance, and show you the verse. Man, I searched out for three or four days of that concordance. I couldn't believe that wasn't in there. I said, whoa. I said, preachers have always said. The Bible says, had I looked at it, and the Bible didn't say it. Preacher said it. And so that's why I've always said that Christians should have their own Bible. I want to say this, not just Bible apps either. You ought to have your own Bible. And look at your Bible, and when I say, or anybody else you follow spiritually says, you need to have your own Bible, you need to see your own Bible, so when they say the Bible says, you know the Bible says. Amen. And so I'm saying to keep your eyes on Jesus is to keep your eyes on the Word. That's not a Bible verse. That's what I'm saying about Hebrews chapter 12. And so John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, In the beginning was the what? The Word. And the Word was with God, and the was God. So how can you keep your eyes on God, or keep your eyes on Jesus, if you not keep your eyes on the Word? Because He is one and the same. The same was in the beginning with Who's, who, who's with God in the beginning? The Word. Who's the Word? Jesus. It says, all things were made by Him, were made by the Word, were made by Jesus. And without Him, the Word, or God, or Jesus, was there anything made that was made. Now look at verse 14. And he really clarifies the whole thing. And the Word was made flesh. The Word was with God, but then He became flesh. That dwelt among us. He grew flesh. And I looked at this because I wanted to see a couple things about this afternoon when I was praying and studying to come in tonight. And this is something, it's not deep if you're a Christian, but it's real to you if you're a Christian. But how many here do know that Matthew chapter 1 talks about the birth of Jesus? And Luke chapter 1 talks about the birth of Jesus, among other things. And so anyway, to clarify how the word grew flesh, when the angel was talking to Joseph, the angel Gabriel was talking to Joseph, talked to Mary, she said, well, how's this going to be? How am I going to have a baby? said, I'm a virgin. I've never known a man. I can have a baby. And he said, the power of the Most High, the Holy Ghost, is going to come upon you. And that thing, he said, now listen, he said, that thing that's going to be conceived in you is going to be from the Spirit of God. And so he's the word God planted the Word in Mary's womb. And God's Word, who is the Word? Jesus. Jesus, through the Word, God spoke the Word and said, the thing that you're going to conceive is going to be the Son of God. And so we all, as adults, know how babies are conceived. Well, the Virgin Mary was the Virgin Mary because the Word of God fertilized that egg. Then that egg grew flesh. And then when that egg and that flesh developed after nine months, came into the world, it says that the Word was with God, then the Word grew flesh. And so Jesus, and there's multiple scriptures tell us that Jesus on earth was God on earth. And so if we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, we are keeping our eyes on the Word. And if you don't keep your eyes on the Word, you still love Jesus, 
But you can start following wrong voices, wrong things, because a lot of voices of the world, Paul said. Many voices. And so if you don't get this word ingrained in your heart, in your thinking, then you might start off following Jesus, but if you don't keep your eyes on the word of God, then you can be on a wrong trail. And yes, you started off following Jesus, but unless you're still following those verses, you're not following Jesus now. We're talking about how to know if you're following Jesus. So Jesus and the Word of God are synonymous. They are one and the same. Now to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And this will tie things together and bring things to where I want to head. Romans chapter 12. I can read verse 1 and verse 2 because they really go a lot along with Hebrews 12. Verse 1 and 2, but I just want to look at verse 2 for the sake of what we're looking at about following Jesus by following the world, the word. And it says this, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? That you may prove was that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It says don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I want to say this. The new birth is instantaneous. Anybody, anywhere in the world, no matter what nation they're in, no matter what race they are, no matter what religious upbringing they have, whether one of the Middle East religions or anything else, the very second any human being says, Jesus, I believe you're real. You're the Son of God. Forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. Like that. There's no process. It's a miracle. A person is turned from darkness to light. Their nature change, changes from the nature of sinner, separate from God, to the Bible says, Second Corinthians 5.21, they instantly become the righteousness of God in Christ. Instantly, you're born again. But your body never changed. Whatever you look like on the outside, bald-headed, long-haired, blonde-headed, black-headed, heavy, light, tall, short, whatever color your skin is, That didn't change. And inside of you, though, you have a soul. And your brain, your mind is hooked up with your soul. And so then he says to Christians, he said, be transported, renew your mind. Your mind was not instantaneous. Your mind has to be changed. How you think about things. How you analyze things. How you make decisions about things. He said, be ye. That means act of your will. You have to will, you're going to change your way of thinking. And you're going to have to get to the place to where, if that does lie with the Bible, I reject it. If that's in line with the Word of God, I receive it. That's if you're going to keep your eyes on Jesus. You have to make changes. There's things that you always heard was right, maybe from your parents even. You know, I wasn't raised by Christian parents. So pretty every, pretty much everything that I was taught was wrong. My parents are in heaven and I led them to Jesus. But they wanted me to learn to be a thief and steal. They wanted me to be the best drinker in the world. The best liar in the world. Cheater. All those kind of things. That's how I was raised. I got born again that I found out lying was wrong. I remember one time I did something stupid. They were called the police. They come to my house. And I did get born again. When I was a freshman in high school, I stayed saved for a while, then backslid. But I still had enough of 
Jesus in me that I had a hard time lying. I'll never forget it. I was back hiding in my bedroom because I didn't want to get in trouble. I never knew anybody was going to call the police on me. What I did was bad enough for the police to come. I thought I thought nobody saw me. So they called me out. Bernie, come out here. I walked out in the living room. There's a policeman standing there. Said, said, you've been here all night, have you? You haven't been out, have you? And I said, no, I haven't been here all night. I was out. And then the policeman says, sir, were you at such and such, 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 did such and such? I said, yeah, I did it. Well, once whatever we had to do, whatever we had to do for right then, for right now, they left, man, they started cussing me out. Called me names and said, you're too stupid to even lie. Said, man, we had you out of that and you wouldn't lie. I got bored again. I got my mind renewed and I found out that I did dumb things. I didn't lie my way out of them anymore. I told the truth. I didn't feel guilty for telling the truth. And so there's things in life that you may have always thought was the right thing to do. But when you get bored again, your mind starts getting renewed. Sometimes, sometimes you're going to have to sweat bullets and just do what's right. And your family, matter of fact, my dad and mom wouldn't have me committed. I was, I was 28 and a half years old and got bored again. And because I hung out with black people, my family was always racist. And so they always taught me to be racist. Well, they found out I went to a church that black people went to. Man, oh man, oh man, they kept showing up at my house and I was 28 and a half years old. I'd been married, had two kids, and they told me, if you'll stop going to that church, we're going to have you committed. I said, well, I was a baby Christian. Well, all I know is if I go to the nut house, Jesus will be there with me. I didn't know what else to say. But what I'm telling you is this. I could not be conformed to the world anymore. The world didn't save me. Jesus saved me. The world was killing me. Jesus was giving me life. Amen. Be not conformed to this world. And so Romans chapter 12, verse 2, this teaches you, this verse teaches you how to know what is sin and what's the right way to live. When you renew your mind, you're going to know what's right. And you know what's wrong. And you're going to have a choice. Are you going to choose to stay wrong? Or are you going to choose to get right? This verse teaches you how to know if you're hearing the voice of the good shepherd or the voice of the stranger. In other words, this verse will show you how to know if you're following Jesus. Why is that? Your spirit's born again. Your spirit always wants to do right. But your head controls your life. And if you let your head override your spirit, you can still live like a heathen. He says, so you'll know the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. you got to know it for you can follow it. And so anyway... Now listen to this. I wrote some things down here. Before we were born again, we were conformed to the world. We lived like unsaved people. How many know that unsaved people live different than saved people? Before we were born again, why did you live like an unsaved person? Because you were unsaved. You weren't connected to Jesus. You didn't have the Holy Spirit to lead you. You didn't have the Bible to guide you. I know for me, I saw, I saw, I saw a counterfeit church that I went to after I was born again. I saw my counterfeit church. It was called Lane's Tavern. My dad and mom lived across from Lane's Tavern because my dad had been arrested for drunken driving. He didn't have to drive anymore to drink, so he just walked across the street, stagger home. 
And if he was too drunk, he'd call the bartender, he'd bring a case over and drop it off the door. My dad paid the next day. And so then, after I was a young man, they moved to the country, I bought their house. So I inherited Lane's Tavern. So I could stagger over there and be like my dad. And so anyway, I come to find out the bartender, bartender's name was Mayo, and, uh, I, I took money over there and gave, gave to Mayo for the house of darkness. Did you ever notice that it says in a lot of tavern windows, spirits served? We serve spirits? And I got plenty of spirits over there. And so I come to find out that Mayo, the bartender, was like the pastor of the local church. People come to Mayo, and the more they got under the influence of those spirits, the more they opened up to Mayo. He was, he was the bartender. And so I come to find out when I got in God's holy church, that we got under the influence of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, we talked to our pastor and opened up to him. I thought, what a counterfeit. And then I, and then I know this, that, you know, my parents are in heaven, so I know they're happy I'm talking about things from my past because it'll help some people here. They, they, they know better now because they're in heaven. I took lots of offerings over to Lane's Tavern. My parents never complained if I spent half my paycheck over at Lane's. But when I got born again, and people told my parents I was giving 10% to Jesus at the church, hey, you need that money for your kids. You need that money for this, money for that. Well, what I did like Dad did, spent it all over at the tavern, they didn't complain. But when God started getting some money, they complained. Well, I found out that those offerings I took to the bar to keep them going, and so I get filled with their spirits, that's a counterfeit. And then I found out out of that lesson that Christians need fellowship. They need somebody to talk to, somebody to drink of the Spirit with. You remember in Acts chapter chapter uh, 2 when Peter said, these are not drunken as you suppose, but this is the Holy Ghost? Well, when Christians get under the Spirit, sometimes they act strange to the world. Because when you get under the Spirit, the anointing is on you, you don't care anymore. You go to the bar, you get out of the place that, you don't care anymore. But the difference is, this spirit gets on us, we let loose of our cares, that's called worry. Get rid of the worry, then we're free to serve God better. Amen? And so I'm just seeing different correlations of things in life that we see, and we're talking how not to be conformed to this world. And so we don't act like unsaved people, we don't talk like unsaved people, and we don't make decisions like unsaved people. We now make decisions based upon biblical information, not non-biblical. And so with all the things in the world today, you need to have your mind changed. And by the way, that you transformed by the nurture of your mind, know the will of God means this. Transformed. Now this is something you might want to write down. It comes from a Greek word called metamorphi. M-E-T-A-M-O-R-P-H-I. Metamorphi. And our, our, our English word, metamorphosis, comes from this word metamorphi. How many have ever heard the word metamorphosis when you was in school? Well, metamorphosis is the process by which a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. You know, I was thinking about that. I'm thinking about that right now. I used to be a worm, but now I have something beautiful. In Christ, I'm beautiful. How many of you used to be worms? Man, just crawling and grubbing and taking it out in the dirt, eating dirt. Now guess what? You're a beautiful butterfly. Metamorphosis. That's a freshman. I just saw that one. Or also, 
uh, <laughs> changing from a tadpole to a frog. Metamorphosis is a process. And so we are born again on the inside, but our minds have to be metamorphosed, transformed, become more and more Christ-like to the mind of Christ, to where they're hooked up our spirit. And so renewing our mind to know the will of God for our everyday decision-making process and running our marathon, it's a lifelong continual process. And so if you stay with it, you're always going to know how to follow Jesus. And you know, for me, here's how I've trained, here's how I've trained myself for over four decades. Anything going on in life that somebody tells me I should be doing or whatever, I'm saying that in a nice way. There's a lot of nice Christians that offer us Christian counselor, counsel, or my wife and I, something happens to our family, one of our kids, grandkids, something going on financially. The very first thing I always say is this. Holy Ghost, what does the word say? My first thought, I am trained. I am finely tuned on the inside that I do not wonder what are we going to do. The first thing I say is, Holy Ghost, what does the word say? Because John 14, 26 says this. The Holy Ghost will teach us all things, lead and guide us into all truth. And bring to our remembrance everything he said to us. Right. And so, how can you know if you're following Jesus? Is it totally in line with the holy written word of God? If it's not in line with the holy written word of God, you're in the flesh. Maybe following demons. At the government point in time, you're going to be sorry you didn't make corrections. But if you do, if you do make corrections and line up with the word of God, Based upon the holy written word of God, I can tell you this, Acts twenty twenty four says we're not moved by things or circumstances, and if we keep following Jesus, it says we're going to finish our course with joy and the ministry we've received of him. And so we will finish strong, we'll live long if we do the things I said tonight from the Word of God. Don't be conformed to the world. Keep the word in front of your eyes. And there's no way you can fail because God's not a failure. His word doesn't fail. Jesus never fails. And we will win. Amen. Amen. I hope you got something out of that. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.